Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. It is Eric Erickson here, insulting everybody. (laughs) Man, y'all should see the hate mail. I knew it was going to happen, but it needed to be said. Welcome. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, more than welcome to have you. We got to talk about the economy. I have mentioned before it is worth saying again. I was speaking with a former member of the Federal Reserve. He was the vice chair of the Federal Reserve. He sat on the Open uh, Markets Committee or the committee that um, sets interest rates. Deeply familiar with it. And I asked him... What is the greatest misconception uh, on Wall Street about the Federal Reserve? You and I have lots of misconceptions about the Fed. You and I have a lot of concerns about the Federal Reserve. But on Wall Street, which tends to be pretty pro-fiat currency, pro-Federal Reserve, what is the biggest uh, thing that if he could disabuse them of a notion they have, what would it be? He said the markets and the financiers of Wall Street have convinced themselves the Federal Reserve cares about the markets. In fact, that is not true. The Federal Reserve does not pay attention to the markets, nor when it makes a decision does it say, well, this will affect the market in this way or that way, therefore we should or should not do it. The Fed has two concerns, inflation and unemployment. Its primary concern is inflation. Its secondary concern is unemployment. Concerns about the stock market and people's 401ks are not there. Now, he said, very typically, the decisions the Federal Reserve makes affect the, affect the market and oftentimes affect the market in a positive way. But that is not even an ancillary concern of theirs. They do not consider the effect of the market when they make decisions. Thus, we arrive at interest rates. The markets are convinced the Fed may be done raising interest rates, at least temporarily. Given the turmoil of the banking situation with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, The markets decided that, well, this just means the Fed's not going to raise rates now. Actually, Jerome Powell testified to Congress not two weeks ago that he expects the Fed to not only continue to raise rates, but they may go back to an aggressive posture. And now there's this from Jeff Cox at CNBC. When the Federal Reserve starts to raise interest rates, it generally keeps doing so until something breaks. Or goes the collect, or so goes the collective Wall Street wisdom. So, with the second and third largest bank failures ever in the books happening just over the past few days, and worries of more to come, that would seem to qualify as significant breakage and reason for the central bank to back off. Not so fast. Even with the failure of the past several days of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank that forced regulators to spring into action. Markets still expect the Fed to keep up its inflation-fighting efforts. Surging bond yields played into the demise of Silicon Valley Bank, in particular, as the bank faced some one point or sixteen billion in unrealized losses from hard to held to maturity treasuries. Still, the dramatic events may not technically qualify as something breaking in the 
collective Wall Street mind. Now, notice the beginning here, though. When the Federal Reserve starts to raise interest rates, it generally keeps doing so until something breaks, or so goes the collective Wall Street wisdom. The collective Wall Street wisdom has not been so wise of late. Now, you should know the Dow Jones is up 269 points as I'm talking, NASDAQ up 223, the S&P 500 up 55 points right now. They think the Fed will raise rates. In fact, the, the markets are suggesting and the bond yields are suggesting or showing they think rates will still go up. And the reason rates are still going to go up is this other story, also from CNBC. The consumer price index rose four-tenths of a percent in February and 6% from a year ago in line with what the market thought. A drop in energy prices helped keep inflation in check while shelter costs increased sharply. The probability that the Fed would raise benchmark interest rates a quarter percentage point next week increased following the report. In other words, prices are up again. Inflation has not been curved. It is down from where it had been. It year over year had been over 8% uh, back in April, uh, February through really October of last year. And now it's starting to come back down. It is starting to sink. But it's still high. Excluding food and energy prices, core consumer price index, that is take out the two most volatile price, food and energy go up and down rapidly. Core CPI rose five-tenths of a percent in February, 5.5% on a 12-month basis. That was ahead of the estimate. The annual level, though, pretty much in line with what people thought. The Fed wants inflation to be at 2% annualized. It's at 6% annualized, 5.5% if you take out food and energy. That's still too high. Because it's still too high, even though it is going down, you could expect the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates uh, a quarter percent to half a percent. That is 25 basis points to 50 basis points. They're going to have to raise interest rates. Again, Jerome Powell said as much two weeks ago. The Fed will keep raising interest rates until it sees significant signs of inflation getting back to the acceptable limit of 2%. He said that to Congress. Just because two banks failed they don't believe it's systemic. And this is part of the thing you've got to understand. The experts, now you can you can roll your eyes at saying the experts. You can say the experts are probably wrong. You can look at Jim Cramer and think, oh Lord, we're toast. But the experts believe whether you do or not, whether I do or not is beside the point. The experts believe that the Signature Bank and the Silicon Valley Bank folded because of internal problems, not systemic problems. They folded because they made bad investments. They made poor risk management decisions, not the banking industry overall. And if you want proof, look at the third bank, First Republic. First Republic is a regional bank that had a lot of the tech industry involved with it. 
The experts said if Signature and uh, Silicon Valley folded because of their risk management strategies and bond portfolio, that if First Republic fell as well, there could be systemic problems. It has not to this date fallen. It has had to get additional capital, has said it was going to get additional capital, but it secured that capital with the help of J.P. Morgan, and it has not folded. It's still in business, which does then suggest that this problem is contained to a few poorly managed banks. The other angle here that I think you got to start talking about is why the heck did so much of Silicon Valley have its money in one single bank? This Silicon Valley bank did business with everybody. I've got a friend whose personal checking account was there. He's in venture capital. I got another friend whose company is in Georgia and used Silicon Valley Bank. I got another friend who's in Tennessee. His company, because it was tech-oriented, used Silicon Valley Bank. Both of them, thankfully, were able to get their money out of the bank before it folded. But now the FDIC is going to make everybody whole regardless of the amount of the bank. Maybe diversify. Jim Cramer from CNBC. You know, there's a there's a reverse Jim Cramer ETF, as I understand it. Uh, so there is a, a fund you can buy. And if Jim Cramer says to buy a stock, they short the stock, meaning they bet against the stock. If Jim Cramer says to sell a stock, they buy the stock. And this this ETF, this exchange-traded fund, it's doing better than Jim Cramer by about 15 to 20%. If Jim Cramer says do something, it's probably a bad thing. Keep in mind, Jim Cramer from CNBC back in January, February, was saying that Silicon Valley Bank was a great investment. It was undervalued, and people should snap it up. Jim Cramer himself was on television, on CNBC, telling people they should buy that stock, and then look what happened to it. Maybe if Jim Cramer tells you to buy a stock, uh, you should worry. I, full disclosure, I own stock in Facebook. They're laying off 10,000 people. Jim Cramer came out today and said that uh, Facebook is a good pick. I'm starting to think maybe it's time for me to sell because he thinks it's a good idea. He was on TV this morning. I'm trying to find the clip. Um, Now I can't find it. All of a sudden he was urging some level of caution among talking heads on television because of what they might do in the stock market and and what the reaction they might provoke. And probably a wise thing for him to be a little bit concerned about the reaction of what people say or don't say on television as to how they could impact the markets. Uh, But I would be a little bit cautious. Jim Cramer thinks that the Fed should allow one of the great giant banks out there to buy up Silicon Valley Bank. No, consolidation is bad. We actually need more diversity in our banking system. I mean, we're running into this with the supply chain for the Pentagon. We are running out of arms because we've been sending them to Ukraine and we can't manufacture them quick enough. Regarding all this, I want to play this clip. This is uh, Aaron Ross Sorkin on CNBC talking to Congressman Patrick McHenry. The question is whether we've become a bailout nation. And when you hear Ken Griffin's comments about he's, he's watching capitalism dissolve effectively in front of his eyes. Uh, you know, we did it after 9-11. Uh, we bailed out everybody after 2008. Uh, the pandemic happens. We bail out the airline, the airlines and everybody else uh, here. Now we're bailing out that like at some point, should, 
Should we not do that? And if we are going to do that, does that change the dynamic with which we think about taxing Americans? Uh, should, is, should taxes be considered a form of effectively insurance uh, for, for everybody? I mean, how should we think about this? You know what I should, uh, you know, I, I think we should think about is what we're in the, in the, what today is. Uh, today isn't making sure the American people have confidence in their financial system. We have, we have politicians dancing around in a hackish way, trying to drive their own agenda. We have folks that are opining so that they can actually have a greater platform. Um, and what we see is people trying to dine on the, on the bones of America, and I think that's highly irresponsible. In a moment like this, we should understand what these agencies do. The Fed is doing what the Fed is supposed to do. The FDIC is doing what the FDIC is supposed to do in conformance with the law. I, and I have no partisan grudge about this. I want right. to convey confidence to the American right. people that these agencies are doing the right thing as right. I see it at this moment. As he sees it at this moment, he thinks that uh, the banks are doing the right thing and he's tired of people posturing. One of the people posturing, you may recognize this voice. During the Obama-Biden administration, we put in place tough requirements on banks like Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, including the Dodd-Frank law to make sure that the crisis we saw in 2008 would not happen again. Unfortunately, the last administration rolled back some of these requirements. I'm going to ask Congress and the banking regulators to strengthen the rules for banks to make it less likely this kind of bank failure would happen again. Trying to blame Donald Trump. Here's the thing we know for certain. Just like in East Palestine, Ohio, the regulations that Donald Trump rolled back did not play a role in what happened to Silicon Valley Bank. Not only that, Democrats supported the rollback. Barney Frank was one of the big lobbyists for the rollback. Um, and the rollback, frankly, was good. You shouldn't treat a small bank with the same level that you treat, um, with the same uh, regulatory measures you treat a big bank because a small bank doesn't have the level of financing a big bank does. And we should be encouraging more regional banks in this country. What was unique here to Signature and to Silicon Valley Bank is how they manage their risk portfolio. And other banks are starting to learn lessons from them. We'll probably get new regulations out of this related to risk management. But we shouldn't be blanketly saying this is an inherent problem across the banking sector when it was really confined to these two, maybe a couple other banks, but not broadly to banks of the nation. We should also not look at the situation and say, oh, because of this problem with these banks, clearly, surely uh, the, the Fed won't raise interest rates. No, inflation's still out there. They're going to raise rates. Maybe stop listening to talking heads on television who maybe have some side angle they're pushing and not actually the facts. So my kid has a queen size bed. We've got a king size bed. We got him bull and branch sheets and he's used them. He had like kid sheets and now he's old enough. He doesn't want the, the action figure sheets anymore. Well, we got lost because I mean, the sheets look like our sheets, except they're queen size sheets and they got put in our closet and the kid was in despair. We got him Bolin Branch sheets. They've gotten softer and softer. And he's like, where are my real sheets? He refused to sleep until we found the real sheets because they're that soft. They're that good. They're made with a 100% organic cotton thread. They get softer in every wash. You can stay cozy all winter long with a set of Bolin Branch sheets. They really are that good. We have them on multiple beds in our house. My goodness, my seriously, my kid, uh, he's finally like, my sheets are for kids. I'm, I'm grown up now and... 
Uh, it's just a, a step of quality above what he had, and now he's like can't sleep without these sheets. They're designed to feel incredible for all sleepers. They're made without toxins. They're free of pesticides, formaldehyde, other chemicals. They fit the deepest mattress too, which I love because we have a very thick mattress on our bed, and it fits. It doesn't like bunch up and then snap off in the middle of the night when you roll over. You can get 15% off your forced order Bowling Branch sheets when you use promo code ERIC at BowlingBranch.com. Exclusions apply. See site for details. That's Bowling Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. So get this. This is the headline at CBS News this morning. U.S. government agencies may have been double-billed for projects in Wuhan, China, records indicate probe launched let's see here the u.s government may have made duplicate payments for projects at labs in wuhan china through the national institutes of health and u.s agency for international development according to records reviewed by cbs news what i found so far is evidence that points to double billing potential theft of government funds It is concerning, especially since it involves dangerous pathogens and risky research, says Diane Cutler, a former federal investigator with over two decades of experience combating white-collar crime and healthcare fraud. Cutler found evidence of possible double payments as she investigated U.S. government grants that supported high-risk research in China leading up to the COVID-19 pandemic. She was hired by Republican Senator Roger Marshall, who took her records to USAID, and the internal watchdog at USAID, which launched a new probe, details of which have not been previously reported. Cutler said she reviewed over 50,000 documents and that the U.S. government may have made duplicate payments for possible medical supplies, equipment, travel, and salaries involving tens of millions of dollars. And some in the government still maintain we didn't send any money, didn't do anything, and had no involvement with that lab funny how that all works and gets exposed over time hello welcome it's eric erickson the phone number if you want to be on the show 877-973-7425 you feel free to call in i i gotta talk about an issue i think probably more of you are passionate about than Maybe some realize I, I put this in my morning or I, so I actually did the show notes again today because, well, somebody's out on maternity leave. <laughs> you know, so there's this big controversy about Mike Pence making a maternity leave joke about Pete Buttigieg and the women at The View are all upset and the Biden was, I can't believe it was it was a joke. It was a joke on The View. Jane Fonda made a joke about killing pro-lifers, and they all thought it was funny. And now the Mike Pitts are like, well, he's a homophobe. He can't make that sort of joke. Yes, he can. Good grief. People have no sense of sense of humor. But anyway, Phillip's out on maternity leave. His, his wife and, and the baby was born a short time ago. I had to do my own show notes today. I do not recall ever giving him permission to be off for his wife. Having it's not like he had to do anything, but nonetheless, he did it, and I put these links in. And I want to talk about this. I suspect more than one of you share this concern. The air train to LaGuardia Airport has been canceled. It was a supposedly controversial plan. Uh, essentially, it was to build 
a system to connect people from Manhattan to LaGuardia Airport. Uh, they called it the air train system. What the air train system was, again, was uh, elevated, essentially a metro rail system that would have been able to move people into LaGuardia. Right now, if you've never been to New York, it is a pain in the butt to get to the airport. You can take up, you've got this incredible subway system in New York, but you can't get to the airports. John F. Kennedy and LaGuardia, are, they're outside the city. Well, technically, uh, they're not, but they are. They're they are a hike. LaGuardia, getting to JFK is worse than LaGuardia, but they're both the pain in the butt to go to. And so when Cuomo was governor, he wanted to pursue an, what they called an air train. It essentially would be a tram system, a, a monorail system, train system that would get people from a subway stop over to the airport without having to take a bus or something. It would make it more convenient to get to the airport. It would clear up a lot of the congestion and traffic of people getting there. But it's been shut down. The F. AA insisted that the environmental review take less than two years. Environmentalists sued, saying that if the environmental review would take less than two years, it was obviously a a half-baked environmental review. And the costs have gone up so much, billions of dollars in costs, they've just thrown their hands up and they've canceled the project. So instead of having a train take people quickly to LaGuardia, you're going to continue to have the traffic jams and the noxious emissions and all of that. And the environmentalists would prefer that because they were afraid it would disrupt protected wetlands. Here's the overarching problem, and there's a tie-in to something completely unrelated, and that is the military. Warship production. Dan McLaughlin has a piece at National Review playing off an Atlantic piece uh, that I read. We are, our number of naval vessels has declined rapidly, and the number of naval vessels we keep in dock to repair has increased substantially. Let me read you this paragraph from Dan McLaughlin. The Union's victory over the Confederacy and the American victory over Imperial Japan were heavily dependent upon our capacity to turn out warships at a speed and volume unmatched by our adversaries. From the monitor to the legendary repair of the USS Yorktown in 48 hours to have it available for the Battle of Midway. In the past, a complacent America could afford to skimp on armaments in peacetime because it could ramp up quickly if needed. But today's America is a jungle of red tape in which the going in any project of building anything is slow and laborious. The Ukraine war has illustrated the dangers to the army of a perilously slow pace of production for munitions. The Navy and the Air Force, too, should be asked at every turn how quickly it could, say, double the size of our current force or even replace a third of it if taken out in an early first strike. Few metrics are more important to assessing the capacity of our on-paper military to conduct an actual war and if we need to. We have a problem. The age of American naval dominance is over. We have largely ceded the oceans to our enemies. 
China now has a navy larger than our own. We have predatory states. We have pirates. We have the Chinese. Even the Iranians are now parking ships in Brazil. And our bureaucracy, our rules and regulations keep us from being able to build anything quickly. Now, there are people who will say the safety reviews, the environmental reviews, et cetera, they protect us, they save us. We don't want problems. We don't want people getting cancer. But here, here's the thing. We are unable in this country to build and deploy anything rapidly, and we need to do better. It is a national security issue. In fact, I would argue it's more of a national security issue than Ukraine, and I support helping Ukraine in any way we can, but it is a vastly bigger national security issue that we cannot turn around munitions rapidly in this country, nor can we build anything rapidly in this country. My goodness, a road in this country takes forever to build. So my office, where I am, I look out the window, and I can see a road construction project. The federal government in the state of Georgia years ago developed something they called an inland port. Essentially, they were worried about customs slowing down cargo inspections and the ability to turn around and clear slots at the port of Savannah, Georgia. They were deepening the port, allowing in bigger ships. Those bigger ships had more cargo. They needed to do something. So they came up with the idea of an inland port. Essentially what happens is the cargo is offloaded onto tractor trailer trucks and trains. And it is shipped three hours from the port of Savannah to an inland port. The tractor trailers and the trains, they're not allowed to stop anywhere. They can't open the cargo. The cargo is sealed, uh, verifiably sealed shut. Nothing can be opened, nothing can be removed, nothing can be tampered with, nothing can be seen until it gets to the inland port and there the customs inspectors will inspect. So you still go through the customs process, you keep the containers secured until going through the process, but you vacate the port very quickly to speed up the turnaround time of the ships and and the offloading of cargo and to free up space at the port. It's not a bad idea, but to accommodate the traffic, they needed to expand an interstate interchange in middle Georgia. I-16 flows from Savannah all the way up to Macon, Georgia. When I was on city council in in Macon in 2010, I was the vote. I was the vote, uh, eight to seven. I was the eighth vote to approve construction of a new interchange where I-16 meets I-75 in Macon, Georgia. They began in 2014 or 15. The project is still going on. It was supposed to be completed by the middle of last year. They now say it will probably be finished by the end of this year or the middle of next year. Environmental reviews and lawsuits have slowed everything down. The result is that the inland port is built, the rail line is secure, and the traffic is going, and the traffic of the 18-wheelers messes everything up. It takes forever for traffic to get through now. You come through and infuriatingly, and it always makes me mad. And you know, I'm, I'm, not, a, I, I'm not a big, I, I'm, I'm not a super speeder, I'll put it to you that way, 
but it frustrates me to no end when it is so common now in the two-lane sections. You have an 18-wheeler trying to pass another 18-wheeler. The one is going 65, and the other accelerates to 68 miles an hour trying to get around. And then, my gosh, they go uphill. Can't be built faster. The environmental regulations... And then the problem is also our spending. And so this is another example of this. This epiphany hit me the other day because I was the other day. I was going somewhere and I, there was a guy. I'm, he surely had a Florida tag. He was in the, the left lane moving slow. The interstate speeds in, in the area are 70. In Georgia, there's a rule that you can go 10 miles over the speed limit and local police, state police can, local police can't use radar to, to flag you over if you're within 10 miles of the speed limit. This guy had to be going right at 70 miles an hour. And it's one of those things, you've seen these situations where you look over a hill, you're in bumper-to-bumper traffic, all the lanes are full, you come over a hill where you have a visual ahead of you, and ahead of the slow pokes, all three of them lined up together, it's clear as the day there's no traffic in front of them. They're holding everybody back. And so I floored it and wove in and out of traffic and was able to, I was doing, I, I admit, I was doing 79 miles an hour to 80 miles an hour getting around him, and I finally got up to a point where I could slow down to 75 miles an hour, set my cruise control, and still was in clear. There was no more traffic. The slow pokes and Florida license, I'm not making that up on the left-hand side, slowing down the fast lane. It drove me crazy, but I was thinking about this while I was I was weaving in and out, trying to get out of this congestion, which I thought was less safe than me weaving in and out to get ahead and get back into clear space. I thought, you know, I don't have a lot of runway here. If I go three, four miles over the speed limit, I'm suddenly in speed, super speeder territory. If I held my speed at 70, if I need to accelerate, I've got a 10-mile-per-hour window ahead of me to slow down and speed up. If I'm if I'm staying at 80 miles an hour, I go five more miles up to get around people. Suddenly, I'm super speeder. I get nailed. I don't have a lot of wiggle room when I'm pushing to the limits. And that's kind of where we are as a country, too. We're pushing everything to the limits in budget. We don't have the money. We need a massive shipbuilding campaign in this country. We need a massive shipbuilding campaign, and we don't have the money to be able to do it. We don't have the wiggle room in the budget. We don't have the leeway, and we're going to get nailed by the Chinese. As a result, there's this massive, massive report in the Atlantic. Every now and again, Americans are suddenly reminded of how much they depend on the uninterrupted movement of ships around the world for their lifestyle, their livelihood, even their life. In 2021, the grounding of the container ship ever given blocked the Suez Canal, forcing vessels shuttling between Asia and Europe to divert around Africa, delaying their passage and driving up costs. A few months later, Largely because of disruptions caused by the coronavirus pandemic, more than 100 container ships were stacked up outside the California port, snarling supply. These events were temporary but expensive. Imagine a more permanent breakdown, a humiliated Russia declaring a large part of the Arctic Ocean its territory, twisting the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Seas. Russia would then allow its allies access to the route. Neither the U.S. Navy, which has not built an Arctic-rated surface warship since the 1950s, nor any other NATO nation is equipped to resist the gamble. Or Xi Jinping has boxed us out of the South China Sea. We don't have enough naval vessels to defend maritime vessels going through there. This is a bipartisan problem. This problem did not suddenly miraculously exist when Joe Biden became president. It existed under Trump. It existed under Biden. It goes all the way back to the Bush administration. But the Obama administration compounded it when it decided to scale back the Navy and scale back our ability to fight two wars at two times, at one time. 
we've got to fix our supply chain. We've got to fix our military supply chain. We've got to fix our ability and capacity to build quickly, expeditiously. We've got to get rid of the environmental regulations and the regulatory review that takes years and years to build ships. We are falling behind our adversaries, and they are using our environmentalist groups and our regulations and our red tape against us. We have got to be able to innovate. It should, we should not take 20 years to build an interstate exchange. We shouldn't take two years to build a war vessel. We've got to speed things up. In all of this turmoil, people are looking at gold. I mentioned that CNBC report yesterday. More and more people turn towards gold. If you're interested, reach out to my friends at Advantage Gold, 800-450-2566. Look, we got raging inflation. We got hyper-volatile stock market. We got major geopolitical turmoil right now in the country. The stock market's gone up, gone down, back up, back down today. It makes everybody queasy. If you are interested at all in using precious metals for your portfolio, whether retirement, 401k, your IRA, or just general investing, you want to ease the ebbs and flows of the market, reach out to Advantage Gold, 800-450-2566. They are TrustLink's number one highest rated gold company seven years in a row. They have the best prices, the best staff, the best precious metals-related IRA department in the country. They're ready to help you protect your retirement they want to give you a free gold IRA kit to tell you what you need to know. Call them at 800-450-2566. Let them answer your questions. They don't do gimmicks. They don't do the hard sell. They just want to answer your questions, make you comfortable with them by giving you reliable information. 800-450-2566. This is the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan, wherever you are nationwide. If your business is growing and needs access to capital, reach out to them. FirstLibertyGA.com. FirstLibertyGA.com. Tell them I sent you. Mike, you're going to be up next. Mike, welcome to the show. How are you? Great, Eric. Thanks for having me on. I just want to remind everybody about that I-85 fire some years ago that took took the whole highway down. Yes. I think they rebuilt it. They rebuilt that in like three weeks, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Yep. So it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It shows you how, what you're it's a great example of what you're talking about. Yeah, we can if we put our mind to it. Now, for those of you outside of Georgia, this was several years ago. We were in Hilton Head for spring break when this happened. Uh, some homeless people started a fire under the bridge. Uh, I-85 runs through Atlanta. This was in the center of the city uh, in an overpass, and the fire got so hot it caused the interstate to collapse. This is a major artery for traffic, not just in the Atlanta area, but in the southeast United States. They were able to rebuild that section of the interstate in less than a month, originally projected for up to six months. They built it in less than a month. We can do these things if we set our mind to doing them, but too often we let the environmentalists file lawsuits for environmental regulations. We let OSHA come in and nitpick things. All the regulators come in and nitpick stuff. The red tape, they were able at the state level to get rid of that bureaucracy. The federal government has got to be able to get rid of the red tape. Not only are we building a bunch of ships in delay, but we're going slow, slow, slow in doing so with planes and everything else because they keep breaking. We're, we're building stuff beyond our technical capacity, particularly in the Air Force these days. Some of the planes they build, they just keep on the ground and keep breaking them. The F-35 just seems like a boondoggle these days. Um, 
I personally like the F-22, the Raptor. I wish they would bring it back. But if not, uh, it's time to advance to the next generation of fighter jet instead of having a one-size-fits-all plane. One of the ways the Pentagon decided it wanted to save money is with this plane that could be all things to all people. I'm sorry you can't fight a war with that. You can't do that. You can't have one plane that is the, the utopian plane because utopias aren't real and neither is this plane that, oh, well, it can take off like a Harrier jet and, and it, it can do this, it can do that. Y'all, come on now. The plane has all sorts of bugs and, and technical deficiencies. We need an Air Force plane and we need a Navy plane and they need to be uh, killers and they need to be technically superior to anything the Chinese have instead of trying to save money by having a one-size-fits-all. It's just nonsense. We have got to refocus. We got powers that be that would like to become the dominant power, and they got to come through us to do it. And we got a lot of people who seem to want to let them have it. A lot of isolationists think we should just sit back and let China take over. We got a lot of progressives who think, oh, China would be better than us. At least they support climate change, allegedly. We need to be dominant and ruthless in the world in order to keep the Western world order going. When we come back, speak of the Western world order, collapse from the inside was societal rot.